you have ordained for this hour. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I want to preach an interesting message this morning entitled, Three Reasons People Become Atheists. Three Reasons People Become Atheists. Why do people become atheists? If someone were to ask you, why does someone become an atheist? I wonder if you would have an answer. I wonder if most, most atheists know why they are atheists. How do they find themselves, themselves in that place? Our text verse tells us that holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, this is our responsibility, that he or we may be able by sound doctrine or healthy teaching from God's word, both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Now, gainsayer is an old word. It basically means the opposers, those that fight against the gospel, those that fight against the teaching of God's word. And there's a lot of people that fight against the gospel. And probably the most obvious ones today are that group of atheists that fight against the gospel. You know, in New England, you can describe the spiritual condition in New England like this. On one side, you have Roman Catholicism that a lot of people grow up in New England beginning as Roman Catholics. On the other side of the religious spectrum, you have militant atheism, people that are fighting against God, fighting against religion. One interesting note is a lot of these atheists used to be Roman Catholics. Some of the most militant atheists used to be Roman Catholics. Now, we're not included in that spectrum. We believe we have the true gospel underneath here. Uh, and as we often say, I think that there are well-meaning people that go to Catholic churches. But dear friend, the Catholic church itself does not have the truth. The Pope, the Roman Catholic church, the Roman Catholic church teaches that they are the one true way to God. And Roman Catholic doctrine states that the only way you get to heaven is by being a faithful member of the Roman Catholic Church. You say, well, I know a lot of Roman Catholics that don't believe that exactly. But that does not lessen the impact and the negative impact that that church itself has. Now, some people would be shocked at that estimation. But dear friend, as much as I, I love folks and as much as I want what's best for people, we have to be honest that no priest can get you to heaven. I can't pray for you and absolve you of your sins. I didn't die for you. Uh, I, my words don't override the words found in the Word of God. Uh, th- we don't do things like the sacraments. We don't have the stations of the cross. We're going to take the Lord's Supper tonight, but it's very different than the, the Mass. Although it looks similar, it's very different. And in a world that says, well, just let people believe what they want and, and God will get everybody to the same place, we have to lovingly make important distinctions that uh, are important. The sacraments don't buy your salvation. I want to be there when you die, and I might even do the deed. No, I'm kidding. I wouldn't do that. But I've, I'm there in people's best moments and their worst moments. I'm there uh, pretty soon after children are born, and I'm there 
uh, after people die. But you don't have to call me when you die to get your last rites. You know why? Last rites aren't in the Bible. We don't baptize babies. You know why? No baby was baptized in the Bible. We don't have a Baptist Pope. You know why? Because there was no Pope in the Bible. Matter of fact, Paul told Timothy that there's only one blessed and only potentate, and that's Jesus Christ himself. Potentate means Pope. Now, some of you are looking shocked at what I'm saying, so this just makes me want to dig in a little deeper. And uh, I know that most of you are like, yeah, I understand that. But maybe I don't say these things enough. And again, I'm not mad at people. I know most of the people in this room either are now or used to be Roman Catholics. But how do we help people with the truth? And that's by telling them the truth. And I'd be happy to do a Bible study with you. I'd be happy to take your Roman Catholic Bible and my Bible and compare them. Matter of fact, it might shock you to know how many Roman Catholic beliefs aren't even in the Roman Catholic Bible. And so these are loving statements that we need to tell people And there's a reason why so many people leave that almost, uh, for some people they find comfort in the ritual, but a lot of people find it very empty without a true relationship to God. And they end up turning 180 degrees to this idea of uh, atheism and even a militant form of atheism. Not all atheists are the same. There are some that just say, I don't believe in God. And you do you, and I'll do me, and whatever. Uh, But it's getting more and more to be this militant form, this this form that's attacking, that's scoffing. Uh, And we must learn how to speak to atheists about the word of God and the gospel. Isn't that what our verse says? That we may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. In these last days of apostasy and apathy and godliness, there are growing numbers of people that deny the spiritual truth of God's word. Growing numbers of Americans are saying, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in the Bible. Now, it's still a small number compared to those who say they believe, but it's a growing number by far, and it's growing faster in certain segments of society Younger people are saying that more often than older people. You can find the highly educated uh, tend to be more atheistic or agnostic than those who aren't. And I'll prove to you in just a little bit that it's not because they're smarter. It's because the path and the influences that they've been on. Consider this statement. No one is born an atheist. No one's born an atheist. No little baby's born and their first words are, I hate God. (laughs) There is no God. No, atheists aren't born. They're created. And once you understand that, it changes everything. Okay, so how are atheists created? What is the incubator in which they are formed? And I I want to prove to you today from the scriptures that atheists are created through a series of events and the adaptation of unbiblical philosophies. And I'll also, I think if you open your eyes and look through the world in a spiritual lens, the worldly machinery is set up today in America to create more atheists, not less. 
And if atheists are created and the machinery is set up to create more of them, no wonder more and more people are becoming that. But that also means that Christians can't shrink away from that, uh, from atheism, agnosticism, skepticism. We need to be confident in our faith and be able to talk to them in a meaningful way. And the Bible says to exhort and even to convince the gainsayers. I believe atheists can get saved. We've got some people in this room that you used to be an atheist and you got saved. How does that happen? Because God still saves people. (laughs) He saves everybody. He'll save anybody that believes. And so uh, this is so important. With this goal in mind of of giving the gospel and explaining God's word uh, to atheists and skeptics, then we must know where atheists come from. So let's Let's zoom out for a little bit, and so for the purposes of this um, Bible study, I want to give you a few introductory thoughts, and then we'll dive in. The first is that God divides the world into two groups. There's a lot of ways you can divide the world. Uh, Some people today are dividing the world into smaller and smaller groups, pitting groups against each other, the victim, the victor, the oppressed, the oppressor. They'll divide you by by color, by language, by culture, by where you grew up, north, south, east, west, coast, middle. I mean, there are just all these different ways to divide you. And then they have this thing called intersexualism, where they, intersectionalism, where they, they actually grade how you are oppressed by all the different boxes you check off, uh, and, and they pit people against other people. And you see this every day today. Anti-racism, as talked about today, is actually racism. And it's almost like, it's like the Inflation Reduction Act that the Congress passed had nothing to do with reducing inflation. They just call things whatever they call it, and you're not supposed to notice. Uh, And so, but how does God divide people? How does God divide people? Let me blow your mind with this. This is in my notes, but I feel like I should say that. Did you know that the Bible, God says there's only one race? Red, yellow, black, white, they're precious in His sight. Did you know in the Bible there's one race and there's one blood? doesn't matter what color you are. doesn't matter what part of the, the world you come from. The idea of race itself is born out of evolution, an evolution, unbiblical thinking that says some people are more evolved than others. God says there's one race and you're all of one blood. If we check your DNA, it all says the same thing. You're a human. If we cut you open, we all bleed the same color, red. Now, the Bible breaks us into people, nations, tongues. So there are language divisions. There are cultural divisions. There are national divisions. But this whole idea of of race is an unbiblical concept. Some of you just went, and I'd be happy to do a Bible study with you and show you what I mean in the scriptures and show you how people are using the very concept of race to control people and to pit people against each other. Right? But let's, let's dig in a little bit deeper. The ultimate distinction that God makes between people, God puts everybody in the world into one of two groups. There are those that have trusted in Jesus Christ, and there are those that have not trusted in Jesus Christ. 
And God tells us all throughout the New Testament that the only distinction that truly matters is whether or not you've trusted in Jesus. When you die, it's not going to matter how much money you had, what kind of job you had, whether they built a statue from you or they forgot your name, how many people attended your funeral. Uh, All of those things are going to be meaningless. The only thing that's going to matter is, did you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior? And the Bible's very clear that believers in Jesus Christ will have eternal life, and those that don't believe in Jesus Christ will die in their sin and go to a terrible place called hell. Now, God doesn't want that. God doesn't want anyone to go to hell, so he made a wonderful place called heaven. Did you know that not believing in Jesus is a sin? It's the ultimate sin. You say, well, you do you, I'll do me. No, not believing in Jesus is a sin. You say, how do you know that? John chapter 16, verse 9 says, Of sin, because they believe not in me. John chapter 3, verse 18 talks about the great sin that sends people to hell is not believing in Jesus Christ. So ultimately, the only thing that matters about you is one of these days when you die, did you believe in Jesus or did you not believe in Jesus? So ultimately, the world is divided into these two groups and this is the most important decision of your life. John 14, 24 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. That's pretty good news. So all you have to do is believe in Jesus and you go into the group that believes in Jesus and has your sins forgiven. If you don't believe in Jesus, then you're not in that group. And if all you get from the message today is please, 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 Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. We're all sinners. He died on the cross for our sin and, and, and rose, was died, buried, and rose again. And if you will put your heart faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, He'll forgive every sin you've ever done, every sin you're ever going to do, and He'll reserve a place in heaven for you. That's pretty good news. Amen. Amen. <laughs> now let's zoom out a little further. For the sake of this message, let's look at a broader look of faith in the world. When it comes to religion, we immediately notice two groups in the world. So now we're not talking about faith in Jesus Christ. We've zoomed out a little bit. Let's just talk about belief in God and religion in general. That can be broken into two groups. (coughs) The first group is there are those who believe in a deity or a God of some type. type. This is called theism. The second group is a group that does not believe in a deity, God, or higher power. This is called atheism. Webster's Dictionary defines theism as the belief in or acknowledgement of the existence of God as opposed to atheism. And it defines atheism as the disbelief of the existence of God or a supreme intelligent being. So, When you zoom out a little bit, when it comes to belief in God, you have those that believe in God, a God, any God, and you have those that don't believe in any God. Now, if we zoom back into this group that believes in God, you find those in three categories. The first is, of the people that believe in a God of some kind, you have those that believe in little g gods or some type of higher power. They believe in God, but not the God of the Bible. And there's a lot of people like that in the world. The second group of those people that believe in a God are called deists. They believe that God exists, but they reject the teachings of the Bible. Typically, they believe that God created the world 
he got everything in motion, but he stepped back and he doesn't really care what's going on down here. He's not really involved personally in your life. He just doesn't care. But they usually they, they will admit that God created things and started it, and then they come up with some personal creation of who they think God is, just not the God of the Bible. And we probably know a lot of people like that. A lot of people in America who say they believe in God, they're not necessarily saying they believe in the God of the Bible, they're saying they believe in some form of God, usually a God of their own making. And then letter C, there are those who believe in the God of the Bible. So there are those who are saved and born again, they've trusted in Jesus. There are those who are not saved, they're not born again, they've not trusted in Jesus. Those that are saved go to heaven, those that are not saved don't go to heaven, they have to go to a terrible place called hell. Jesus died to make sure anybody who wants to can go to heaven through faith. You zoom out, you have two groups of people, those that believe in God, of those groups there are three types of people. They believe in any type of God, a false God, some type of higher power. The next part is this deist that they believe God started everything but really doesn't care and usually has their own idea of God. And then those who believe in the God of the Bible. I would fall in the third group of those who believe in God. I believe in the God of the Bible. I believe everything the Bible says about God. I believe he's exactly who the Bible says. And that's what our church believes. For those that don't believe in God, you can also break those down into three basic groups. The first group are those that are called skeptics. Now, a spiritual skeptic is one who doubts the Bible and its claims. Typically, they doubt the existence of God. They doubt the person of Christ. They doubt that Christ is a Savior. They doubt He died on the cross. They doubt that you can be saved. They doubt the, the truth of the book of Revelation. It, it's just a, a doubting. A skeptic is just one that says, I'm not sure that's what God said. I'm not sure that's what God means. I just I don't know if you can believe that. The second group in this group of unbelievers are called agnostics. Agnostics go a little bit further, and they'll say, it's impossible to know the truth. It's impossible to know whether or not there's a God. It's impossible to know whether or not the Bible is true. They don't necessarily deny that God exists. Instead, they just declare that it's impossible to know. How many of you know someone like that? I just, it, it's impossible to know. And they, they attempt to be an agnostic because they feel like that's a neutral position. I'm not saying he exists. I'm not saying he doesn't exist. He might exist. I just don't know. And they, agnostics typically seek comfort in the claim that it neither believes nor disbelieves. Here's the problem according to the Bible. They still don't believe. And what's the first thing we talked about? Are you a believer or an unbeliever? Do you believe in Jesus or do you not believe in Jesus? Agnostics seeking to take the middle ground in this spiritual thinking actually are still unbelievers. So they're still in trouble with God. The, first, the third group in this group of unbelievers are called atheists. Now, atheists are those who deny the existence of God. They will tell you positively, absolutely, with confidence, there is no God. Typically, they reject all spiritual aspects of life. They express negative views about God and the Bible and the role of religion in society. 
what they fail to miss is that declaring God doesn't exist is a statement of faith. Because they can't prove God doesn't exist. Sometimes people come to me and say, prove to me God exists. And I'll say, you know, if we go to court, the prosecutor has to prove their case, not the defendant. You don't go to court and the the prosecutor says, prove to me that you're innocent. You can't prove innocence in a lot of cases. It's up to them to prove guilt. And I'll tell them, people have believed in God since the beginning of time. If you're trying to say there is no God, you're the prosecutor, you make the case beyond a reasonable doubt. It's the burden of proof is on you to prove there is no God. And if they're honest, they can't prove that. So if they declare it, it's a statement of faith. Atheism is the religion of disbelief in God. And as soon as you understand that, it all begins to come clear. It's not because they're smarter. It's not because they're higher educated. It is a religion. Atheism is a religion. They have a religious zeal. They have tenets of their faith. They have things they believe and don't believe. They have things they do and don't do. It's a religion. Now the question is, how does someone get from being just a casual unbeliever where they don't know the truth, they've never been taught the truth, how do they get from that place that all of us started in? All of us start as unbelievers. Nobody's born a Christian. Wait a minute. Nobody's born an atheist. And nobody's born a Christian. When my kids were born, their dad was a Christian, born-again Christian. Their mom was a born-again Christian. My kids had to get saved themselves. The pastor's kids have to get saved. The deacon's kids have to get saved. The Sunday school teacher, the piano player, everybody's kids have to get saved because nobody's born a Christian. So we know how you get from being an unbeliever that believes in Jesus, but how does someone get to be, they're born somebody that that doesn't believe, how do they get to be an atheist that demands and declares there is no God, and those of you that believe in Him are the problem in society? How does someone get to that place? I'm going to give you three reasons and we go to the house, and I've got to go quickly here. How does one become an atheist? Number one, pride. Pride. What's pride? Pride is thinking too highly of yourself. Atheism grows from the rotten soil of pride. There's three types of pride I find when I look at pride. The first is personal pride. This is just some people just think they're better than you. You ever notice that elitism looks down at everybody else? You ever notice that atheists tend to look down at people who aren't atheists? The educated tend to look down at those who aren't educated. They just look down at you. We have a lot of politicians and a lot of business people that believe they're smarter than you. They know what's best for you. Sit down, shut up, do what you're told. They'll tell you what to eat, and right now that includes bugs. You heard about the crickets. They're putting bugs in certain foods and stuff and trying to get people to buy bug burgers and all this kind of stuff. They'll teach you how to live. They'll, they'll tell you where to put your thermostat. They'll tell you what clothes to wear. They'll tell you what car to drive. Why? They know more than you. Sit down. Shut up. Do what you're told. That's pride, friend. And pride's running rampant in our ungodly world. 
This pride causes people to even rise up against God, challenging His authority, trying to take His place as king. Look at Isaiah chapter 14. I'll show you a few verses. I'll show you a verse under each one of these and we'll go to the house. Isaiah chapter 14. This talks about the, <clears throat> the origin story of Satan. Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? Lucifer was Satan's angelic name before he was Satan. He was actually an angel. We believe he was probably the chief angel. There was God and all the God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, and then all the created beings. Lucifer was the top created being. He was a cherub, which was one of the the top um, angels. Uh, we believe he was a song leader in heaven. He was, he, he was uh, beautiful. God made him with incredible wisdom. The problem is he got lifted up with pride thinking that he could be God himself. So look at Isaiah uh, chapter 14, verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nation? So, of course, after Lucifer was cast down out of heaven, he began to destroy the world. Verse 13, for thou hast said in thine heart, we find the, I, the five I wills of satanic pride. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit upon the mount of the congregation, the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. Watch this. I will be like the most high. Now, I don't have time to tell you what each one of those five things represent. But ultimately, you can see the last one. Lucifer said, I will be God. I'm just as smart. I'm just as powerful. I've got the ability. I will be God. And God, without breaking a sweat, cast him out of heaven. The pride caused Lucifer to rise up against God himself. He who had seen God. Never underestimate the power of pride in your own life. Pride will make you do foolish things. Pride will make you mistreat your wife, your husband, your kids, your parents. Pride will make you hurt people. Pride makes you selfish and evil. It's delusional what some people think they're capable of or who they are, all because of pride. Pride makes you look down your nose at people. The Almighty quickly crushed this sad rebellion, casting Lucifer out of heaven. Look at verse 15, Isaiah chapter 14, verse 15. Yet thou shalt be brought down to where? Hell. hell, to the sides of the pit. In that moment, Lucifer was condemned to hell. He went to earth for a while, but hell is the eternal abode of Satan. Matter of fact, when Adam and Eve sinned, like Satan, they, they brought upon the human race the, the curse of sin that was ultimately and originally only meant for Satan. Hell was never made for people. It was actually made for Lucifer and the angels that followed him. That's why in the redemptive plan, God said, hell was never made for you people. I'm going to make sure that you have a way to escape hell by trusting my son, Jesus Christ. Thank God for the the privilege of salvation. But we see pride here. Pride is the mother sin. All sins spring from pride. You can trace every sin in the Bible back to a root of pride. Pride is sin, Proverbs 24 says. God hates sin. Pride, Proverbs chapter 6, verses 
16 and 17. The prideful often join hands in partnership to fight against God, but yet God will still defeat them. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 5. Pride hardens the heart and the mind. Daniel chapter 5, verse 20. Pride causes people to hate God. Look at Romans chapter 1. Pride causes people to hate God. If you ever meet someone that says, I hate God. First of all, why would you hate someone that doesn't exist? I've heard atheists say, I hate God. It's like, well, why would you hate someone that's not there? I hate Santa Claus. Okay? I hate the Easter. they, They hate God because he's real. They just hate him. Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, the second half of the chapter, you see this stairway that descends down into deeper and deeper sin. It's actually very instructive. But we'll just look at at one verse. Verse 30, in the middle of a list of sins, which those that, that choose to reject God, and ultimately atheism is a rejection of God. Look at verse 30. Backbiters, haters of God. How'd they get this way? Look at verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, they didn't want to believe in God. They didn't want to believe in God. How'd they get to that place? Verse 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped the creature more than the creator. That's like evolution. We're not going to worship the creator. We're going to worship what he created. And the, the processes over billions and billions of years that just accidentally made everything that are we're going to worship no no you choose not to worship the creator you choose not to retain him in your knowledge you choose not to do that and ultimately you hate him you hate him look back at verse 21 because that when they knew god they glorified him not as god neither were thankful watch this If you trace every atheist back, you'll find someone in their lineage, either them specifically or a parent, grandparent, who knew God, who knew the truth but rejected it. And it starts a line of of atheism and, and rejection of God. And notice in that verse also, it starts with being unthankful. You know how to keep from being an atheist? Every day say, thank you, God. God, thank you for a beautiful day. God, thank you for this food. God, thank you that my car works when I get in it. God, thank you for clothes to wear. You thank God. You remember where the blessings come from. You'll never become an atheist. But you get hard and mean and cold. Want to do your own thing. Lift it up with pride. I can decide. How many of you have ever heard someone say, It's my life. I'll do what I want. That's called pride. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Pride. How do you create an atheist? Pride. We see personal pride. I say educational pride. I believe when you look at, as much as I I appreciate teachers, you have to step back, and if you take an honest look at our educational system, things have changed in the last 30 years. The educational system now is set up to produce certain results, and it started first they... First, unbelievers and atheists took over the, grad, the doctor's programs and the graduate programs, then the bachelor's programs and the associate programs. That was college, and then high school, and then junior high, 
and now it's all the way. The stuff that they're teaching elementary school kids today, do you think those are taught by Christians or unchristians? Or not un- unbelievers? Do you think they're taught by people that love God or, or, or that at the very least don't acknowledge Him? At the most, if you listen to some of them, they don't like the idea of Him at all. There's a, there's a pattern here. And those of you who have gone through higher education and kept your faith, you know how hard it was to sit in a classroom full of people with a professor mocking and scorning and, and the, the whole pressure pushing against everything that, that's Christian. You can draw a direct correlation from the moment they kicked the Word of God and prayer out of schools to all the problems in public schools today. You can also draw a direct correlation between how much education someone has had in these ungodly systems and how firm of an unbeliever they are, even up to an atheist. It's not because they're smarter. It's not because their IQ's higher. It's not because they understand more than you. It's because year after 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 year. Only hearing one side of the story. How do you turn someone into an atheist? Pride. I'd say lastly, sensual pride. Pride excuses sin. I don't have time to get into that. If you get into sin and you want to sin, then you can't believe in a God telling you not to sin. You'll either stop believing in God or you'll stop sinning. But you can't perpetually stay in a state of sin knowing that God's going to judge you. You'll either have to give up God or you'll have to give up your sin. And some people just say, I can't believe in a God that tells me I can't do what I want to do. We say, number one, how do you make a... An atheist, number one, pride. Number two, pain. Let me show you one verse here. Is this interesting to you? Hebrews chapter 12. Pride is a real issue. This one is more sad. Pain can make someone an atheist. Pain, suffering... Hebrews chapter 12, look at verse 15. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby defile many, lest any fornicator profane person, as Esau, who for one morsel of bread sold his birthright, and it goes on. That profane, someone that doesn't appreciate spiritual things, the, the sin, the... The profanity, not not simply words, but the the philosophy of life. Where did that come from? It comes from bitterness. There are some people that are atheists because they've been hurt so deeply. And I have a lot of compassion for these people. Sometimes people see the suffering in the world. The number one question of atheists is this. If there is a God, how could he allow such suffering? It's not that hard to answer biblically, but you need to know the answer. And we're going to talk about that in another message as the the year goes on. But sometimes people have suffered unthinkable things in their own life. I'll never forget years ago I was knocking on the door over in Richmond, 
Actually, a, a young girl had ridden the bus from a friend's house, so we were following up with her. I went to the girl who visited last week. I knocked on her door, and uh, her older brother answered the door, man in his early 20s. As soon as I said from, I was from the church, he began to cuss and swear and scream and yell. I mean, he cussed God, he cussed me, he cussed our church, he cussed God again. He was just out of control, just like slobbering, vicious anger. And he was getting ready to slam the door. And in that moment, God gave me wisdom. And as he was getting ready to slam the door, I just said, who hurt you? And it was like that question punched him in the gut. He's, he's, he stopped. It was such a visual thing. He's slamming the door and he stopped. He, and he looked at me in a softer tone. He said, why would you ask me that? And I just said, in my experience, people who are so angry at God, people that hate God, he said he didn't believe in God, and then he started cussing God. I said, in my experience, people that are that angry at God have been hurt very deeply. And his tone softened again. And I ended up having a conversation with him. He stood at that door and wept like a baby. After conversations over a few weeks, he ended up trusting Christ and getting saved. That boy, that, that man, had the saddest story of abuse and violation and trauma that I've ever heard in my entire life. And here's what happens. People get so hurt, and they say, there can't be a God or he wouldn't have let that happen to me. And if there is a God, I hate him. One thing I told the man at the door where after he answered the, the, the second time in an even softer tone, I said, most people who've been hurt badly, they don't know what to do with their pain, so they blame God instead of running to him for help and healing. And that opened the conversation. And if I called his name, some of you would remember that he ended up coming to church, and he did well the whole time he was coming to church. God began to change his life. Sometimes people are just hurting folks. Don't just assume that everybody's, oh, this terrible atheist, this, oh, maybe we need to pray for him, maybe we need to dig a little deeper, maybe ask a question, see where they're at, see if we can help. How do you make an atheist? Number one, pride. Number two, pain. Number three, pragmatism. And I'll just give you this thought. Self-will leads to rebellion and pragmatic thinking. Pragmatism says the end justifies the means. It basically says this, if it works, then it must be right. Some people become atheists, and I've actually heard them make this statement. If I were to believe in God, he would tell me I had to change. I don't want to change. I don't believe in God. I want to sin. God tells me not to. I don't believe in God. Matter of fact, I hate your church for telling people the truth. Some people would say, I hate your church for, for saying that there's a, a different option than abortion. I hate you. I hate your church for saying that, that uh, there's a different option than, than homosexuality or, or, or the trans stuff going on. I hate you. I hate your God. I hate you. And ultimately, when you dig into it, it's because you dare to tell them that what they're doing could be wrong. And they refuse to believe in a God that does not rubber stamp what they want to do. 
I wish I had time. I'm going to have to do this in another sermon. I, I could show you the four sins of Sodom and why Sodom became so bad. And you find each one of those elements alive and well in our world today. I think you ought to keep coming Sunday mornings because we're going to start getting into some nitty-gritty stuff about the nuts and bolts of some of this stuff. If you disagree with anything I've said, if, if something I said felt shocking to you or you had any questions about it, you've got a preacher that loves questions and I'm happy to talk to you about it. But I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm going to show you from the Word of God. What you'll find is when you surrender to God, you'll find peace and hope and joy and love like you've never even believed and understood was possible. If you're a Christian here today and you're like, I'm not feeling that hope and peace and love, it might be because you've got some rebellion here. It might be because we've started to push back. What do we do? We pray for atheists. I've got people here, atheists, that got saved. I've got two more messages here that I could give you. My one message kind of turned into a bunch of them, but I'm not going to preach them to you this morning. But just keep coming back. I think this is important. I think in the world we live in, you need to know and Christians need to know how to deal with these folks that call themselves atheists and who are so opposed to what we're trying to do. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth. And it's, the truth can be shocking in this day and age when so much untruth and misinformation's out there. But I pray, Lord, that you'd help each one of us to have a heart that is surrendered to the truth. Even if, even if your truth challenges what I believe, Lord, help us to, to seek you and to seek your truth and surrender to you. The ultimate truth is that we must be saved. If there's one here that's not sure they're going to heaven, I pray that they would seek that out, that you'd convict them of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Help them to at least have a conversation.